Hey folks, Scott Weingart here, and this is the MCrit Podcast. Today on the podcast, the topic I tried to let you folks choose. I offered you the option of either transvenous pacemakers or chest tubes, and somehow, after hundreds of votes, it was exactly at 50-50. I don't even know how that was possible, but that's exactly what happened. So the brighter blue was transvenous pacemakers. I like bright colors, so here we go, transvenous pacemakers. Now, I love this topic because there's so many little logistical details that make the difference between getting this right and totally botching it. And, and I know this is going to piss some people off, but now before we get to my standard operating procedure of pissing people off, if you're listening to this now, it's because you're listening to the free version of the podcast. And I'm going to tell you why I think that is a big mistake. And the reason why is because if you're listening to MCRIT, part of your job is taking care of really sick patients. And if you are taking care of really sick patients, you need the cutting edge research that you're just not going to get unless you're doing like crazy people like myself, like Josh Farkas do, and read 60 journals a month to pick out every single bit of goodness relevant to resuscitation and critical care, analyze it through the lens of someone who is practicing this as their sole job and understands things at a logistical level. That's what MCRIT offers, is the ability to get that information without having to do it yourself. So if you are one of those people that take care of really sick patients and you want to be doing the best job you possibly can for them and have the information in the most easily uh, obtainable fashion that doesn't involve you wasting, you know, hours and hours of every week pouring through what is mostly crap to get the, you know, little bit of gold uh, amidst that big pile of manure, then you probably should be listening to MCRIT and you probably shouldn't be just listening to five minutes teaser episodes or an occasional free episode. You should be a member and actually getting this goodness in your podcatcher with no problem. It's a one-time shot each year and all of a sudden you don't have to think about it anymore and then you will be an MCRIT member getting the best possible information on resuscitation and critical care. So go on over to mcrit.org slash join, and please become a member. Okay, back into the mix. It has been my contention that the ability to place a transvenous pacemaker is a fantastic dividing line between resuscitationists and non-resuscitationists, because I don't care how small your shop is, if a patient comes in with complete heart block, you can't wait, in many cases, if the transcutaneous can't capture, uh, for someone else to come in and help you, or for you to transfer someone else. So this is a fiddly procedure that requires you to stay uh, knowledgeable. You have to keep practicing this if you don't do it very often, but uh, if you say, ah, I just don't do transvenous pacemakers, eventually a patient will die on your watch. So this is one of the marks of a resuscitationist is the ability to do a transvenous pacemaker. It separates the people who are resus-minded from the people that aren't. Okay, let's discuss indications. Now, there's the obvious ones, right? Like unstable third-degree heart block or second-degree type 2 heart blocks, the high-degree heart blocks. Um, then you get your you know, sick sinus or sinus node dysfunction patients, especially the ones with pauses, syncope, hypotension, etc., um, less commonly done, but still an indication to have in mind, is overdrive pacing, uh, especially for uh, ventricular tachydysrhythmias like torsade de pointe, uh, where if you make the QT shorter, the patients get better. And then, you know, less likely to be done in the ED or ICU would be a prophylactic pacemaker for something like a new left bundle or a right bundle branch block with left axis deviation. These patients have a high propensity to devolve to complete heart block, and that is definitely an indication, but usually that's 
preferably done in the cath lab because that's where those patients should be. Uh, so you don't want to take the time to do it in the ED or the ICU. You want to get them up to the cath lab and then they could do the pacemaker there. Now, it bears just a little bit of discussion as to what to do with a patient with a complete heart block, and yet their vital signs are rock-solid stable. In fact, oftentimes these patients, because of their cardiovascular propensities, will actually be hypertensive. They'll be feeling great. They'll have no problem with complete heart block. And uh, at my old hospital, because there was no cardiology in-house, we would just always place a transvenous pacemaker wire. And then at Janus General... um, Cardiology, there were a lot of private cardiologists, and we tell them, you know, we want to uh, put a pacemaker wire in, and they'd say, no, no, they're fine. Just put them in the, uh, the CACU, and uh, we'll watch them and get a permanent one in the morning. Sometimes they'd do a permanent one that day. That's not as big a deal to me, you know, if they're just going to wait 30 minutes and get it. But the, the next day always scared me, uh, you know, overnight, even though there are cardiology fellows in-house, oftentimes they had never done a pacemaker before. And even if um, they had, they just didn't strike me as the best people to do crash pacemakers. And sometimes these patients do decompensate. But I just got to say, I'm not sure which side of the debate I am on. I mean, I've never heard of the, one of these patients that we put up on the floor um, really crapping out. It was really the patients who had, you know, borderline hypotension and then they got a little bit better or they had syncope from a sick sinus or something like that. Those I would just always put them in. I wouldn't even ask um, if you had any signs of instability. But the rock solid stable patients with the complete heart block, I mean, they're showing you that they're doing okay at their heart rate of 30. Um, do they really need a temporary wire or could they save the problems of that and just go for a permanent? And uh, you will just have to use your judgment on those. Let's talk sites. Uh, the preference, with, by a long shot, for me at least, is the right IJ. It's a straight shot, and it doesn't burn the left subclavian, which is where they'll probably want to put the permanent pacemaker. So it means, you know, if the patient's unstable, can't tolerate it without a pacemaker, oftentimes they'll have to place an additional wire uh, to be able to get out your temporary and uh, be able to get the permanent left-sided subclavian pacemaker in. So right IJ is really nice. Uh, if you have no choice, you go left subclavian. Then after that, it becomes more fraught. And so then for me, the next one would be left IJ. It has to make a kind of additional set of loops that are never fun. And then right subclavian. And then my least favorite, it can be done. I have done it. It's not fun without fluoro, uh, is the femoral. Okay, so there you go. Right IJ and left subclavian is going to be where most of your lines are going to be. Uh, to the point where if there's already a triple lumen in the right IJ, I would swap that out for a cortis and then just place in a new triple lumen and use that right IJ. In fact, that's not even nicer for me because now I know I could get that pacemaker in for a patient that really needs it right now. Okay. Let's talk box management. This is the thing that scares people, and really you should be playing with your box on a regular basis to stay current and having a set of just-in-time instructions for your nursing colleagues and for your uh, doc colleagues is a really nice way to go if you're kind of like the logistics person. You know, you say uh, uh, all this stuff that they need to remember in a just-in-time sheet. You stick in your pacemaker uh, case, and wow, it makes people really happy. We have ours uh, on our pacemaker draw, and uh, it's, it's a nice way to go. Now, at this stage of the game, I I think across the board, unless you have older equipment, your box is going to be a Medtronic 5392. This is the uh, atrial ventricular pacemaker. It's a lot more complicated than the ones they used to have in the ED that was just a one uh, chamber pacemaker device. Uh, couldn't do two at once. Um, most hospitals at this stage just want one device for the entire hospital, and therefore they want the same one that the CTICU uses for patients coming out of a cardiothoracic operation be the one that they use in the ED and CCU, so they have that 
dual chamber box, the 5392. Now, for a while, I'm pretty sure they weren't even making a simple box. Um, I think Medtronic does now make a simpler one. I would still advocate, uh, for the reasons I just mentioned, that you just learn to use the same one that's in the CTICU, and then your hospital could standardize across the board, which makes it nice for you, because it means they could have a regular stock of these devices, such that if you bring a patient up to the CCU, and they have your, you know, quote-unquote, your pacemaker box, they could just give you one of their, quote-unquote, quote, pacemaker boxes, and you don't care because it's the exact same thing. And then the ownership thing is less of a problem. And it's a real pain in the ass to be the equipment person like I was uh, for an ED ICU and have to start tracking down pacemaker boxes that are our pacemaker boxes. And as soon as we went to a system-wide box, it was just such a delight. Okay. So if you do have the Medtronic 5392, uh, when you start them up, they start up in DOO, which means dual chamber, no sensing. Um, at 25 milliamps for the ventricle and 20 milliamps for the atria. Uh, for the purposes of the ED and ICU, you're not going to be using atrial wires unless you're in a CTICU. So that atria thing doesn't really matter. And you could just float right there. You'll be just fine with that. Um, what I usually wind up doing is I'll just turn down the atria to zero. Is If you turn down the atria to zero, it immediately turns without you having to do anything, which is nice, to VVI. So it goes ventricular... <laughs> All right, folks, that's the end of the teaser portion of this podcast. If you want the full podcast, you know what to do. Come on over to mcrit.org slash join, and you'll hear the full podcast and hear all of the mcrit resuscitative goodness. Bye-bye.